0: Well, as Sherlock Holmes counseled, sometimes you have to listen for the dog that didn't bark. When a political scientist from the University of Michigan decided to study ethnic violence, he chose a radically different approach than most. He studied peaceful cities where race riots did not occur. Varshney, who was a native of New Delhi, wanted to find out why some cities in India managed to avoid bloody Hindu-Muslim conflicts, while others erupted in horrifying violence. He said, for far too long, scholars and policymakers have focused on the state for conflict prevention. My main research finding, he said, is that we should instead focus on civil society, and integrated society is the best bet for ethnic peace. The study was a revelation to political scientists and UN officials showing that cities with ethnically integrated social, political, and economic organizations were far less vulnerable to violent conflict. This would not at all surprise Van Jones, however, whose work deeply advances social and environmental justice in a profoundly systemic way. By addressing abuses of the criminal justice system and educating people about their rights, His work cultivates the leadership that's necessary to spawn innovative and diverse organizations that can restore peaceful communities. Studies show that although black people account for only 13% of the nation's drug users, they comprise 35% of drug arrests and 53% of drug convictions. A recent analysis revealed that with current trends, one out of every three black boys born today will spend time in jail in their lifetimes. Van is the founder and national executive director of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, headquartered here in San Francisco, which was founded to address human rights abuses in the US criminal justice system and resist the over-incarceration of young people of color. Van's and the center's human rights work have won widespread recognition and a slew of prestigious awards. Van was born in rural Tennessee in that fateful year 1968 and seems to have absorbed the best empowered idealism of that era. In his early 20s, he began a media and communications career working as a journalist with Associated Press and Gannett News Service and as a publisher in the South. He worked his way through Yale Law School and emerged committed to combining his skills and vision to effectively improving social justice for young people of color becoming a national spokesperson and a board member of progressive media organizations, Van is truly an innovator, bringing a unique vision and entrepreneurial impulse to his social change work. The center's multifaceted strategy integrates his understanding that breaking the incarceration industry's stranglehold on public debate and policy will require greater partnership between human rights activists and a wide range of groups including progressive business, environment, and social justice. To help build those bridges, we are honored that Van has also joined the board of directors of Bioneers and also of the Social Venture Network, a group of progressive business people. And he's a stunning example of a new generation of leaders that's emerging, when uniquely suited to our times, just when we need them most. It's my very great privilege and honor to introduce you to one of the finest examples of that new leadership, Van Jones.
1: Thank you. Well, everything that is good in the world comes from love, the land, and labor. And I wouldn't uh, proceed with any comments that didn't honor all three. First of all, I want to say thank you so much to the volunteers, the anonymous staffers, the people who have made this event possible, who've made it happen, who brought this event together. Many of you will never be on this stage, never have the opportunity to speak on a microphone, but we want to thank you so much for your efforts to make this possible. I also want to say thank you. I was backstage. I got a chance to eat beautiful California fruit. And you and I have never tasted one strawberry that a poor person's hand didn't pick, not one. Machines, machines don't pick strawberries, and rich people won't pick strawberries, and you and I won't pick them either. Um, poor people, far from home, who are missing their families, are in the fields today, right now, doing the work that makes all other work possible. And I, I hope that when we leave here and get a chance to eat the beautiful food that's being prepared for us right now, we'll remember the workers, the laborers, who are making it possible. With regard to the land, I give honor to the land. This is not Marin County. This is the Ohlone people's land. They were exterminated here. And the people who killed them said that they were civilized and they were killing savages. But let me tell you something about those savages. They were here for thousands of years in this land called California. And there was never one homeless person, not one the whole time they were here. Let me tell you something about the people who took care of this land before the invaders came. It was said that a squirrel could climb a tree at the Atlantic Ocean and go branch to branch to branch to branch all the way to the Mississippi River and never touch down. Those savages had no homelessness and no environmental destruction. And if this so-called civilization can ever accomplish half of what they accomplished, it will be a miracle. I want to give honor to those people. So I want to talk today about how we go from a gulag economy to a green economy. That's what I want to talk about. How do we go from a gulag, prison-based, prison industrial complex incarceration industry to a green economy in the United States and California. And the reason I want to pose it up just that sharply is because a lot of us who work so diligently and so hard on so many issues often are not aware of where we stand. The United States is now the number one incarcerator in the world. The United States is the number one incarcerator in the world. We incarcerate more people than China more people than Russia. We incarcerate a bigger percentage of our African American men than apartheid South Africa did. And if you think that is disgusting, welcome to California. California has become the number one incarcerator of all the 50 states. We spend more money in California incarcerating people than they spend in Texas, more money than they spend in Georgia, all the so-called southern states that we look down upon. Well, welcome to Calabama. This is Alabama that you live in. Mass incarceration central, ground zero for global mass incarceration is California. What does that mean? That means that right here in California, we spend more money every year on prisons and universities. We spend more money on prisons and universities. We have built in California in the past two and a half decades, 21 prisons and only one university. We are in a state where... Uh, Clinton, when he came into office in the United States as a whole, there were a million people behind bars. When he left office, there were two million, a doubling of the prison population. And you should know that 80 percent, 80 percent of all those people are in jail for nonviolent offenses. Why is this happening? It's happening because we live inside of a gulag economy. Corporations now are using the labor of the prisoners to make products that you and I buy. Victoria Secrets, Microsoft, numerous corporations that are respected, numerous corporations that we look up to, numerous corporations that we feel good about are using prison labor, not in China, not in Cuba, but here in the United States, and corporations that won't give jobs to African-Americans and Latinos in our communities will work us for pennies on the dollar behind bars. And then when we get out, say, well, we're not employable because we're felons. That is what's going on. It's outrageous, and it needs to stop. The impact of this is tremendous. The impact of this is in it comes down to kids going to schools that are underfunded because so much money is going into incarceration as opposed to education. Right over here in Oakland, not far from where we sit, we have kids 30 kids in a classroom, six books. My brother was up here talking about asthma. We used to worry about the kids going to those congested schools and the chalk dust giving them asthma attacks. We don't worry about that anymore. After October, there's no chalk in the schools in Oakland, unless teachers are willing to buy the chalk out of their own pocket. That's where we stand. Kids go to school. The police cars are already there. Seven o'clock in the morning. There hasn't been a fight. The police cars are stationed there. They're always there. The kids get into a push and shove in the hallway. They don't go to the principal's office. They go to the precinct in handcuffs. It's called a strike. When they're in the car, there are better computers in the police car than the classroom they just left. When they get to the juvenile detention center, there are better paid adults there than in the classroom they just left. It's easier for a kid to get into prison than to get a scholarship to go to a community college right here in California. That is the gulag economy that we live in. And those of us who want to see an ecological U-turn to a green economy have to take responsibility for the fact that we aren't starting from zero. We're starting from a mass incarceration-based economy, where corporations are profiteering not just on destroying the land, but on destroying lives and, 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 and profiting off of underfunded kids winding up as predictable behind bars workers for them. That's the country that we're living in right now. And I want you to have a sense for yourself of what the impact is. I'm going to go to a film called Books Not Bars.
2: We've been taking testimony from young people from throughout the state of New Jersey who have spent time in youth detention facilities. I know that I was unprepared for some of the reactions that I received from the youngsters as I would talk to them, asking them their questions. Several broke down in tears. Several were so afraid that they asked me not to use their names because they were afraid of retaliation from guards or from authorities at the juvenile detention facilities. They described uh, being held in isolation. They described being beaten. They described being hungry. They described being used sexually, seeing others used sexually. Uh, They described smells and sounds that no adult, let alone any child, should have to endure. Young people are enduring four-point restraints, five-point restraints. They are enduring extended isolation. They are enduring the use of devices of torture such as stun belts, stun guns, uh, restraint chairs, all sorts of treatment that's highly inappropriate for anyone, let alone children, all in the name of law enforcement as they speak. It sounded to me like it was the adults around them who were the ones breaking all sorts of laws, including the most basic human rights laws.
3: My name is Bianca. I'm 18. The first time I got locked up, I was 12. My name is Tyron. I'm 18 years old. When I got locked up, I was 16. My name Jose, at the age of 14, got arrested. I was in there for about 29 days. Basically, you know, hell. They took me in this room and they told me that I had to take off all my clothes. I mean, they made me strip down and everything. I had to squat and cough. It was crazy. It felt really uncomfortable. I felt like, I just felt bad. I felt, I felt like they violated me. I felt so bad. Just basically, you know, I was like the smallest one in there, just the smallest one. You know, it's a small one, everybody wants to pick on you, everybody wants to mess with you, you know, try to take your food, try to beat you up, get you jumped, you know, or get more charges put on you. or Even taking a shower, you got to watch what you do. Somebody might come in, you know, try to beat you up right there, you know, basically you got to fight. There's a lot of anger that builds up in there, you know, and it's like, I don't like the fight, but I will. I ain't saying I'm no coward, but why every day? Things that I saw, man, waking up in the middle of the night, hearing somebody getting beat up, you know, just hearing somebody scream. Let's see, saw a couple kids got raped also. Just talking to the guards made everything even worse, made everything even worse. Then when you complain about the guards, they, don't, they take the guards' word over yours. So it's like they're not believing you, they don't believe anything you say. There was a lot of stuff that was going on in there that they didn't think that nobody was gonna talk about, nobody was gonna say anything. i tell you the truth, I can't even speak about it really. I could only tell you certain things. Most of the things I, you know, experiences that I had in there, I can't even bring them up right now. It's just, you know, painful to even think about them. I learned how to survive, basically. Do something stupid, you get locked up, come back out, you're gonna get locked up again. <laughs> they said I, said I was a minister to society. Society is like, he's not gonna make it. That black boy is not gonna make it because he, you know, he doesn't think like us. They're animals. They treat me like an animal and I'm not.
1: I think we should just take a moment of silence to uh, send out a prayer to the, the children who are locked up right now for money in the United States. I'm going to ask a lot of you, Um, and I'm sorry to do it, because a lot of you already hold the candle of hope and truth in your communities. Everybody in here is a visionary in his or her own right. Some of you have been mistreated in your own lives bullied and mistreated in your own way coming up. It's part of why you have so much love and and want to see things change. And I just want to say you've done a beautiful job so far. I can see the love and the effort, all the programs, all the things that are coming out of this community and its extended community, and I I honor it. But I'm going to ask you to do more. And the reason I'm going to ask you to do more is because I believe that the people in this room are a critical part of what it's going to take to turn the country around. But we have to know what we're aiming for. And we have to understand the complexity of the whole thing. One of the problems that we have is that we have this, this, this policy among us called SDI. I call it SDI strategic, deliberate indifference to everybody else's issues, and if the government imposed that policy on us and said, no, you can't work with the African-Americans, you can't work with the Latinos, you can't work with the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender movement, you cannot do it, we would rise up because we would instantly understand that that would be the most devastating thing this government could do to us, is to keep us apart from each other and keep us from being able to help each other and know each other and work together. But the government is not keeping us apart. It's the social walls that we build between ourselves that let these prison walls stand. It's the social walls. We have an obligation in this century to turn the country around. That's what we're tasked to do. I'm sorry that it's not more simple or smaller, but that's what it is. You and I have the opportunity to do that, and the reason that we do is because the the, eco-innovators, the people who are displayed here at Bioneers, have beautiful ideas and beautiful intentions, but they don't have very much power in this world right now. Those kids, if you could meet them, have beautiful dreams. When, we, when you go and you do workshops and you talk to them, they're so smart and they're so sophisticated and they're so funny. And this country needs them much more than they need this country. it's worse than that. The reason that those 21 prisons were built, look at where they were built. They were built where rural, poor white people live. They were built as economic development programs so they could have jobs, which means that if the numbers hold up in all likelihood, when I look at a, a low-income white person, My kid's going to spend all day in jail as a prisoner, and that person's kid is going to spend all day in jail as a prison guard. And that's wrong. California shouldn't be spending billions of dollars to keep poor white kids in jail as prison guards and poor black and Latino and Asian kids in jail as fodder for corporations. That's wrong. But they don't have very much power. So you have to take what they can get. a movement that's courageous and visionary on the environment but cowardly and ignorant about the social issues will fail and on the other side and on the other side a movement that is is visionary and passionate on the social side, but is ignorant and indifferent on the ecological side, will also fail. The Two movements that are growing in the United States, the social justice movement, racial justice, criminal justice movement on a path not to freedom, the ecological environmental movement on a path not to freedom. Both movements are destined to fail. But sisters and brothers, there is a light at the crossroads. There's a light at the crossroads. At the crossroads is where the hope is. At the crossroads, the eco-innovators, the poor whites, the inner city youth need each other. Why? because the eco-innovators needed the government on their side the way the government was on the nuclear power industry side. But you need a constituency for that. The inner-city kids need jobs, and so do the rural white kids. They need jobs. What if we all stood together and said, we want green jobs, clean energy jobs, not jails, as a solution for California? How much power would we have? How much power would we have? a movement that's willing to take that position, that's willing to bring together the eco-innovators with the working class whites, with the people of colors, that movement could say to the, to the prison guards and the prisoners, come out the jailhouse. There's work for you to do. We need you. There, there, there's a coastline to heal. We, we, we want to turn sunshine into electricity to keep your grandmama's house warm in the wintertime. We need you. Come out the prison house a movement like that could redeem the the jailer and the jailed if we would be willing to build it the hope is at the cross at the crossroads you could see the best thinking of the criminal justice movement the restorative justice people talking about we don't need retribution based justice punishment based justice why can't our criminal justice system help restore the balance in a community and bring healing and help to people it's working in new zealand why can't it work here you could see those people coming together with the restorative economics people who are saying, we don't have to destroy the planet. We can use economics to actually heal the planet. And at the crossroads, restorative justice, restorative economics could make our communities bloom again. Our our neighborhoods wouldn't have to be uh, uh, battlegrounds anymore because you would have healing coming from the economy and healing coming from the government. And our communities could, could bloom. At the crossroads, there's hope. last time the government was this wrong, this far off base, with this military petroleum complex having seized power in D.C. I'm worried about hijackers in the Pentagon, hijackers in the White House. The last time the government was this far off, people like me and you took responsibility and built something called the New Deal Coalition, brought together workers, brought together minorities, brought together students, brought together intellectuals, brought together progressive capitalists, picked up the government that had been put on the side of the robber barons and the despoilers of that day and picked it up and put it back down on the sides of ordinary people again, Call the New Deal Coalition. I believe that what you are, what we are here together, what Bioneers represents, is a key cornerstone in the construction of a New Deal Coalition for the new century. That's what I'm calling you to do. That is the only thing that will bring down the prison walls. It's the only thing that will give good jobs to those poor whites and it's the only thing that will bring into being, bring into existence, the ideas that are going to be talked about this entire weekend. And I invite you into that calling and that, into that crusade.